Hi, it's Rav Mike. It's been quite a while since the last episode of The Jewish Story, and I want to let you know about a brand new project coming down the pipeline. It's called The Jewish Heroism Project. My goal is to trace the heroic face of Torah, 26 paths of Jewish heroism that will make the qualities, key stories, and models of heroism accessible to everybody who tunes in. Now, here's the first episode of the core content. And if you like it, you can just search for The Jewish Heroism Project wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, this is Rob Mike Foyer, and I am proud to present to you the first installation of The Jewish Heroism Project. What lies ahead are 26 paths on which we're going to explore the Torah's heroic face. And if you want to get the full depth of them, go right now to the website, jewishheroism.com. You'll find there a source sheet and supplementary videos that will go along with every one of these podcasts, helping to make them an educational and even transformational experience. And if you want to be part of the Jewish Heroism Project, you'll also see a button there that says Donate in order to make a tax-free one-time donation. I'm happy to hear your feedback. We're just getting started on an amazing adventure. So if you got what to say, write me, gmail.com or find me on Facebook. More than anything else, get ready to join in an epic journey toward Jewish heroism. I'm Rob Mike Foyer, and this is the Jewish Heroism Project. I have faith that there are good things worth fighting for. And what's more, I believe that you do as well. The challenge we all face, our question is, what is good? I'm Rob Mike Foyer, and this is the Jewish Heroism Project. Lesson 1. The Gate. Quest for the Good. Hi, I'm Rob Mike Foyer, and welcome to the Jewish Heroism Project. I am super excited to get started on the 26 pathways of Jewish heroism that lie before us. But before we do, I want to name a problem. I might even call it a crisis. Because when I look around, I see a crisis of heroism in the world. Now, you may find this strange because if you go to the movies or turn on your television or open almost any media, you'll see heroes wherever you look. I mean, my goodness, you swing a stick, you hit six Marvel movies, and everybody knows today that not all heroes wear capes. Nonetheless, I challenge you to tell me what a hero is, what makes up heroism and how you might make it part of your life. Because there's a crisis of heroism in the world in the sense that no one knows exactly how to make it happen. And that is the crisis to which the Jewish Heroism Project is meant to respond. And not just heroism in general, but specifically a Jewish heroism. The Jewish Heroism Project, in fact, is my attempt to trace the heroic face of the Torah. Now that's a big idea and we better start slow. Let's begin with what Torah is. Because Torah isn't just that scroll in the box at the front of the synagogue. It's far more. First of all, it comes from the word hora'ah. That means instruction, a practical instruction on a path of life, tell you what you need to do in almost every situation. But the Torah is also far more than that. It's a piece of the infinite. It's a portal through which the light of creation still shines. And the way it's meant to work is all that guidance, the stories, the lived historical realities of the Jewish people, combines to contain and receive that light. And in fact, to build the vessels which can make the infinite accessible in action. That has a heroic face. 
And what lies ahead, like I said, are 26 paths of Jewish heroism, which I have found on my own journey through Torah. I'm going to offer them to you through 26 different Hebrew terms. Words like avodah, service, emunah, faithfulness, omets, courage. And the Jewish Heroism Project will trace these paths, mapping the heroic face of the Torah in order to make it accessible to you. Because I said heroic face of Torah, but I might well have said heroic faces. Because above and beyond any knowledge which I hope to give, or please God, some wisdom that I can offer, what I really want to do is excite you with the light of heroism in Torah. Excite you so much, in fact, that it becomes your own. I want you to find your own heroic face. I'm not looking for passive consumers of content. I'm looking for partners who are interested in bringing more heroism into the world. This is a project. Get on board. Because what lies ahead isn't a study of heroism in Torah. That's work that we're going to have to do. But in reality, at its heart, this is an invitation. It's a call to tune in and take a heroic stance in relation to creation. Torah tools and tips, of course, provided along the way. I'm not going to leave you bereft of the Hora'ah's instruction. So where do we begin with such a monumental task of sketching out the heroic face of Torah? I suppose we couldn't do any better than with a definition for heroism. And the definition of heroism in Torah is Mesir Nefesh Lema'an Tov. Now that's a lot of Hebrew terms. Don't be nervous. I will take them apart one by one. Let's start with misirut. Limsor means to hand something over. You might actually be familiar with the way it's used in terms of tradition or misorah, that which is handed down from generation to generation. But the reality is misirut means way more than simply to hand something from one person to another. It's also to go beyond, to grow beyond and in specific, to grow beyond your limited self. And that's why we speak of Mesirut Nefesh. Now, Nefesh, just like the rest of these terms, will get a full exploration somewhere down the 26 paths. But for now, just know what it means is your limited self. Limited physically, limited emotionally, limited in our conceptual framework. Mesirut Nefesh is the willingness to go beyond, grow beyond, limited self, Leman Tov, for the sake of good. And here is where our story starts to get a bit tricky. Because, you know, that crisis of heroism that I named might just well be called a crisis of good as well. If you were a comic book kid like me, or you simply have gotten into it later in life, then certainly you've encountered the anti-hero. And maybe you've dabbled a bit in the postmodern discourse that loves to divide the world into oppressors and victims, and therefore sees a, a hero as nothing more than a villain with good PR, and perhaps you can taste that nihilism bubbling up from the bottom of our culture, which denies the existence of good altogether. Now, I know that there are many people out there who firmly believe that there are good things worth working for, worth fighting for even, but I also know that they're confused as to what that is, as to what good is. And so a hero is most in Nefesh, the Ma'antov, goes beyond, grows beyond their limited self for the sake of good. And the Jewish Heroism Project is going to trace the 26 paths of heroism, which, when taken as a practice and not just a study, can transform, can help you become the hero in your own life journey and in the world at large, should the opportunity offer itself. But before we can begin 
to take these paths, to talk about the work to be done, we have to find the gate. And that gate to the 26 paths is Tov. And that's why everything starts with understanding this deceptively simple word of good. Because when I say that the Torah has a heroic face, it's really an invitation, a call to join a quest, a quest for the good of creation. It's a quest that began right at the beginning, and it has stretched for millennia, expanding the boundaries of human consciousness and capability ever since. A heroic quest to become one who grows beyond, goes beyond their limited self in pursuit of Tov, the good of creation. Because remember, Tov isn't just the gateway that will set us out on these 26 paths of heroism. It's actually their destination. So our first question is, what is good? You know, I'm willing to bet that out there listening are a handful of fifth grade teachers. And even if you're not an elementary school teacher, I promise you everyone listening was once upon a time in those little seats in elementary school. And if you remember, then you might also remember the dreaded end of summer essay, What Did You Do This Summer? So I want to tell you a story about a boy. His name's Tuvia, if you don't know. Tuvia means the good of God. And Tuvia's a good boy. He wants to do the good thing. So when Tuvia gets that end of summer essay, he writes back, I had a good summer. We did a lot of good things. And we went good places. Now just imagine, if you're not actually a fifth grade teacher, what you would do when you got that essay. Well, you'd hand it right back to him and say, tell me something that means something. Good is such a meaningless word. We have a problem. Because not only does good get tossed around in our world, if you open up the Torah, there in the very first chapter, in the first telling of the story of creation, you'll find that the word tov is actually the backbeat to everything that happens. God saw the light was good. God saw the fishes were good. God saw the sun, the moon, and the stars were good. It's all good. That's a problem. How can something be both meaningless and the backbeat to the story of creation? Well, the simple answer is we don't know what the word means. But of course, that itself poses the problem that the Jewish Heroism Project is here to address, that there is an essential good of creation, one that has been largely lost to our understanding and therefore to our access. Now, you should know that amongst learners of Torah, there's an idea called the home base, that the first appearance of a word in the text of the Torah may not be comprehensive in the way in which it defines the word, but to a sense, everything comes after, every use subsequent is to a certain degree referential. So here we are, the first chapter of the Torah. Tov, tov, tov. Good, good, good. This poses two problems. First of all, how do we understand good without bad? There is no rock. There's no evil in that first chapter. So whatever it means, this good is not relational. And the second problem follows quickly on the heels, which is, what do you mean? The creation is all good. I don't know about you, but when I look out the window, I see a world that's pretty bad and broken. Not only that, we're here to talk about heroism. Heroes exist in order to fight evil and to heal a broken world. So what on earth does it mean that the world is all good? Now, in order to appreciate the answer, we need to know that Tov is something I call a keyword. There are certain keywords in the Torah that have two layers of meaning. Let's call them essential and moral. We'll start with the second because it's easier to understand. A moral meaning always requires a standard of measure. And that's really why it's more familiar to us. We understand 
right versus wrong, good versus evil, healed versus sick. Now, we may debate who gets to set the standard, and authority is always a relevant question, especially when it comes to heroism. Nonetheless, we understand the concept of a moral meaning. And that moral layer of good actually appears in the Torah with the story of humanity. You may know the complicated relationship that we quickly develop through the knowledge of good and evil that comes from eating the fruit of the tree in the garden. More on that next episode. Right now, we're talking about the first telling, God's perspective on creation, if you will, and it has no evil. That moral layer of meaning is not present. So what does good mean in its own right? What's the essential meaning of good? Well, first of all, obviously, it's not relative to anything. It's just how the creator sees creation. And from this flows another very important point, which is that good isn't just an observation. It's a mode of relationship between creator and created. It's the judgment that God passes on God's own work. In order to understand this and to appreciate its importance, I want to explain something I call the creator's dynamic. I hope everybody listening thinks of themselves as a creator, small c. And if you don't, really you are. Because whether you paint or you do the plastic arts or you write or relationships or you use words, all of us know the dynamic that has three pieces. There is an internal conception, what it is I'm trying to do or make. There is, of course, the medium of creation, clay, paint, words, good deeds. And then there's my means, how good am I? And as soon as you understand this creator's dynamic of conception, medium, and means, you encounter the creator's dilemma, which is that nothing ever turns out exactly how I intended. I'll give you an example. Picture Michelangelo. Right there he is on his back, painting the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel, one of the great works of art that Western culture handed on to humanity. At a certain point, he reaches for his brush and he goes, no, I'm good. Does he mean that it's perfect? Certainly not. What he means is that he's done. And this is the human perspective. We have an inner conception. We have a medium of creation and we have a means and whatever we produce may be done, but it's never perfect. But of course, God is beyond limits of conception, is not bounded in medium or means, which is why when God creates, everything the creator creates is perfectly reflective of the will of its maker. This is the essential meaning of that word tov, good, as it appears in the first story of creation, perfectly reflective of the will of its maker. God creates existence from nothing, unbounded in will or conception, in medium or means. And that's why everything is good by definition. It's only once the human perspective crops up that things at least appear less perfectly reflective of the divine will. Because we are going to have our own will as creators, a very important part of the heroic story that lies ahead. But we always create something from something, limited in our conceptions, in our choice of medium, and the perfection of our means. Hence, our good is relational and therefore imperfect. Even the best of human efforts is always a work in progress. Picture Michelangelo. He put that brush down, not because it's perfect, but because he's done as well as he can. That's really a skill of an artist. And our definition of heroism, misirut nefesh leman tov, going beyond, growing beyond, limited self for the sake of good, incorporates both these layers of meaning, right? Of course, there is a quest to fight evil and heal a broken world. And action in that sense requires standards of good and evil, 
definitions of health and ill. But before that action comes an essential posture. It's a commitment to the absolute good underlying all creation. And that posture exists even, or perhaps especially, when we experience the world as evil and broken. This is the heroic mission of the Torah, to which I'm calling you. The hero's path is guided by standards of moral good, right? But it's a quest for the essential good. We all live in a world of good and bad, right? That's the first thing that makes us a hero, is knowing that the world is essentially good beyond that good and bad. And then being most nefesh, going beyond, growing beyond our limited self to make it so. You know, if you've seen any of my content before, you know that I've been telling the Jewish story for almost two decades. A rich and complicated tale. You can look it up. But that's why it astounds me when I open up the words of our sages and I find a single sentence that's able to sum up everything in one simple word. And they say that the story of the Jews is Yavotov, Vikabal Tov, Mitov, Litovin. Now that was a lot of goods. So let's take it apart. Let the good one come and receive good from the good one, capital G, for the good ones. So let's start. Who is Tov? Who's this good one that comes along? Now, in order to appreciate who it is, you should know, just as a side point, that our sages also have what I call a theory of conservation of personality. There are no bit characters in the Hebrew Bible as far as the rabbis are concerned. And that's why they're always saying, oh, Hatak is really Daniel, Malachi is really Ezra, and, you know, Jethro has six names, etc. And even Moshe, Moses, our teacher, is, according to some, has five names. Others say that Moses has seven. But the reality is, every parent knows that the first and perhaps most true name that a child receives comes as soon as his mother sees him at that very first time. And that's why the verse that introduces Moses into our story reads as follows. But Taher Aisha Vatelid men, right? The woman became pregnant and bore a son. Vatereotoki Tovhu. And she saw that he was good. If you're listening, that's the exact language that we heard in the first story of creation. And our sages pick up on this quite quickly, right? Rabbi Meir says Tov was his real name. Rabbi Hemi actually says, well, it was really Tuvia, right? The good of God. But they go on to say, why did his parents call him Tov? One says, because he was fit for prophecy. Another says, well, he was born already circumcised with the mark of the covenant on him. The third says, well, when Moshe was born, the house was filled with light, right? The woman saw that he was good just as God saw the light, that it was good. Now, what are those three things that make up Moshe's goodness? Prophecy? Before I say, I should note, they'll all get a full explanation down the 26 pathways. Don't worry, this is going to be a project, like I said. But just to begin with, prophecy, right, is the natural ability to hold God consciousness. It's keeping the creator's perspective on creation, so to speak. And what about circumcision? Well, the mark of the covenant in the flesh is a sign that we're partners, not just in finishing our own self, but actually partners in the finishing of creation. And the light? Well, Moshe was an aperture for that first light of creation, whose goodness shines beyond, underlies all moral questions of good and evil. These three were the qualities that Moshe was meant to give to Israel through Torah, prophecy, covenant, and that original light of creation. 
And they are what make Moshe Tuvia actually the first hero in the Jewish story. Not chronologically, of course. There's a whole book of Breshit of Genesis, and we will get to some of the main characters. Don't worry. But conceptually, because just like the Torah, according to our sages, preceding creation, but emerged at a certain point in history, Moshe is called Tov, because he's called from really before birth for a Mesir Nefesh, for a going beyond his limited self, so total that it was going to open a portal for the whole world to follow back to that essential good of creation. He's going to be a gate to the goodness of creation. Yavo Tov, the Akabel Tov. Let the good one come and receive that good. Now, once Moshe Tuvia is born and all the light and the prophecy and the circumcision pass, his heroic journey seems to take a nasty turn, right? He's cast out. He's cast out onto the river. And, you know, beyond any sort of cute stories about a baby in a basket surviving infanticide, there's an important reason that Moshe had to be raised in the house of Pharaoh. You know, our sages teach, A prisoner can never free themselves from prison. Heroics? Moshe's heroic mission, like all heroic missions, lay outside the bounds of the world from which he came. It's always a question of the hero to go beyond. If Moshe was going to redeem the Hebrew slaves, he had to himself be free. If he was going to bring down a portal to the essential goodness of creation, then he would have to go beyond the bounds of good and evil in order to open it. And in our own life journeys, right? If we aim to be Moser Nefesh in the Montov, to go beyond, grow beyond our limited self towards some greater good, we need a guide, an idea, a light on the horizon that shows us there is more out there, that there is a beyond into which we can grow. And this is where Moshe's heroic journey actually teaches us a basic problem of education. I'm willing to bet that there's a lot of educators out there listening to this. And if you're not an educator, certainly you once sat in a classroom, I hope more than once. And so you're familiar with the fundamental problem of education. How do we give people more than they can handle? But education is a growth process. You're expanding not just person's knowledge, but their ability to receive knowledge. On one hand, if you give a person too much they can't handle, boom, they'll never absorb it. On the other hand, if I tailor what I have to say to my expectations of what you're capable of, I risk the danger of low expectations, and there's no quicker death in the educational process. Education is about growth, expanding not just what you know, but your capacity to know. But how do I give you something you don't actually have the vessel to receive? Well, the answer is there's always a sweet spot. Let's call it something between the reasonable expectation and the ridiculous of giving you over something you can't handle. It's a risk zone where all growth happens. I can blow your mind, but only to a point. And ironically, or past logically, God had the same problem. There was a desire for the creator to give us access to that essential good, that good that lays beyond the boundaries of human moral consciousness. How on earth is the good Lord going to do that? Well, that's through Moshe Tuvia's heroism. His heroism is in his capacity, Likabel Tov, to receive good, not just the Horaah, the instruction, but also a gate for that infinite light of creation. So, Yavotov, the Akabel Tov, let the good one come and receive good. What is that good that he got? 
I find that one of the most beautiful statements about Torah comes in the Gemara in Shabbat. There, Rabbi Yochanan is talking about the Ten Commandments, right? Considered by many the heart of the whole endeavor. And he knows that the first word of the first commandment is I. Now, not the standard Hebrew usage of ani, which means I, but rather a more rare construction of anochi. Rabbi Yochanan says the reason anochi is the first word is that it's actually an acronym. It's an acronym that stands for ananashi kativat yahavit. The literal translation of that is I wrote down my soul and gave it to you. The good that the Torah is, which Moshe was meant to bring down, isn't just a guidance on good and evil. It is the goodness of the Creator itself. And so, how exactly does one take the outstretched hand of the infinite? Well, remember, this is what heroes do. They go beyond the threshold for the sake of infinite good. And if they succeed, they bring back a new relationship, really, to that essential good, each in their own way, and Moshe for the sake of us all. Now, if we want to understand the deeper nature of the tov which Moshe received, we need to understand who he became by receiving it. Remember, the heroic journey is a process of self-transformation before the hero is ever able to do anything for anyone else. And here at the height of Moshe's leadership, which, by the way, if you don't know, was constantly plagued with conflict, God describes Moshe Tuvia's greatness. If you want to see the context, you can look it up in Bamidbar 12.8. That's uh, numbers for those of you who prefer, right? And there, God describes Moshe in the following fashion. God says, I spoke essentially face-to-face with Moshe, not in rhymes and riddles. And here's the key. And he saw God's image? It can't be. I mean, Moshe brought down the Torah, where at the heart lay the Ten Commandments. And number two says, You shall not make any graven image. So how could God describe Moshe as someone who saw the image of God? Well, to answer that, and to understand how Moshe was Mechabal Tov, received the good in a way, he could actually give it over to the Tobing, to the good ones. We need to know actually what Moshe's greatest heroic moment was. You know, maybe I should hit pause and you all could write down on a piece of paper what you think the great moment was. But spoiler, it wasn't standing up to Paro, which was a bold move. It wasn't the Ten Plagues. Granted, dramatic. It wasn't even splitting the Red Sea, a revolutionary moment, if there ever was one. No. Moshe's great moment of heroism was when he stood up to God. Right? It's a moment so heroic in fact that it ended with him glimpsing creation from the divine perspective. Because when it says, it doesn't mean that he saw God's image, picture of God. It means he got a glimpse of how God sees the world. When did it happen? Well, you may know the story of the golden calf. It's an awkward tale. Our sages actually compare it to a bride who runs away with the best man right from under her marriage canopy. All the Am Yisrael is there at the bottom of the mountain. We just got the Torah with the lightning and the trumpets and the whole glory, right? Moshe says, you stay here. I'm going to go up and get the rest. Next thing you know, we're dancing around the golden calf and idol at the foot of Mount Sinai. So, of course, Moshe comes down. 
It's a breakdown. There's a fight. He cleans house, destroys the idol, kills a bunch of people. And then he says, you wait here. I'm going to go try to fix this mess. Now, it's reasonable to assume that Moshe thought at best he could patch things up, which itself is important to understand because a hero's prime stance is a commitment to the goodness of creation, meaning it's wholeness, that creation, all of it is perfectly reflective of the will of its maker, which means even in the face of failure and breakdown, like the golden calf, the hero doesn't give up. He holds the pieces of a relationship of the world through his commitment to essential good. And what results in our story when Moshe goes back up is actually a revelation beyond any which he had yet received. Now is not the time to go into the details of that revelation, but it's called the 13 attributes of Rachamim, of compassion. Rachamim is one of the 26 paths of heroism. We will discuss it in its due. But for right now, I want you to understand what it has to do with the tov that Moshe brought down for you and I in the whole world. Because Moshe went up thinking that he would patch things up. And what he discovered is that a breakdown is actually the opening of a pathway for an even deeper relationship, provided his commitment to holding God and Israel together was firm. Right? God says, get out of my way. I'm going to destroy them all and I'll make you a new nation. And it just has nothing doing. We're in this together. His commitment to how the pieces make a whole to the essential goodness of everything, including that breakdown, bring forth a revelation so profound that he realizes that he could see it all. And he says to God, show me your glory. God says, whoa, right? Men shall not see me and live. It's one of my favorite lines in the Torah, but don't make any mistakes. This is not God warning Moshe, just like in the Raiders of the Lost Ark, when the Nazis push back the top of the Ark and their faces melt. No, Moshe, stand back. It's not it. He's saying, Moshe, there are limits to human consciousness. See, you have to remember the creator's dynamic. Remember conception, medium, and means, right? And you have to know that humanity is a specific divine conception. We are the will for relationship. I'll prove it to you. Follow logic. In the first story of creation, we're told that humanity is created in the image of God. In the second chapter, the second telling, we find out that it's not good for humanity to be alone. Well, if we're created in the image of God and it's not good for humanity to be alone, then it's not good for God to be alone. But the medium of relationship is other. Remember, all relationships depend on separation. And when Moses says, show me your glory, he's asking to see creation in its perfection, perfectly reflective of the will of its maker at one with creator where there's no human agency, no independence, no human perspective, all the medium of relationship would disappear. That's not God's plan. So God says, whoa, stand back. But there is something I will give you. And the verse goes on and it says, I'm going to cause all my goodness to pass before you. Not me, the good, but all my goodness, a glimpse of the essential potential for the goodness in Everything, how I see the world, says God. That Moshe saw the world through God's eyes in that moment. Not the divine unity, which he couldn't encounter and exist. He couldn't see God's face, but Moshe could see the potential for union in divine creation. 
the goodness of how all the pieces of even a broken world fit together. Because the boundaries of human consciousness lie in union, not in unity. And this is the tov. This is the good that Moshe Tuvia brought down with Torah. Not just the practical way of life, the hora'ah of Torah, but a portal through which the essential goodness of creation could shine and which allows us to stand in relation to the good. So our story is Yavo Tov, the Akabel Tov, Mitov the Tovim. Let the good one come and receive good from the capital G, good for the good ones. And Moshe Tuvia, first hero, whose special capacity, his heroic stance, is the ability to receive a good beyond human measure, that essential good, and to make it accessible to us as Hora'a, a path of practical instruction embodied through law, through prophecy, through covenant, and by opening a portal to the infinite first light of creation, which all subsequent heroes will help to shine. And Moshe got it from the good one by going beyond all bounds through his commitment to relationship. And he gave it to the good guys. That's a little strange. Well, in order to explain, I want to offer you this quote from Avram Yitzchak Cohen Cook, one of the great spiritual giants of the early 20th century. Of Cook says, the very desire to be good to all, without any boundary or restraint whatsoever, is the inner seed of the essential character of the soul of Knesset Yisrael. This is her inheritance, he says, and her portion from her fathers. Now, the desire to do good is a human quality, and anybody who's ever left their home, I hope, has seen that. Some have it more than others. That's just the way life is. What Rav Cook is telling us is that there's something called Knesset Israel, the collective body and soul of Israel, which doesn't just have that desire. It is that desire. Here he called it an inheritance from our forefathers, Moshe Rabbeinu, of course, not the least amongst them. Elsewhere, Rav Cook names it as the embodiment of the divine desire to do good itself. That creation be good, not only in our eyes, but in God's eyes as well. That that is the purpose for which Am Yisrael, the Jewish people, were created. Because Jewish heroism isn't just about doing good, although I admit it's a big part of it. It's really about bringing Torah into the world in a way in which it empowers others to do good. It's a hora'ah, an instruction on how to navigate the moral boundaries of action in the world. And it's an aperture for the light of the infinite, one that can illuminate what the essential good we're pursuing even is. As it says in the book of Isaiah, Atem edai ma'shem, right? You are my witnesses, says God, for avdi asher baharti and my servant that I've chosen from the task of what? In order that you know you hold a consciousness and you believe you have the faithfulness and you understand. These are all terms that we will explore. But for now, you need to know that what Rob Cook is telling us is that there couldn't be a greater Mesirut Nefesh Laman Tov, a willingness to go beyond, grow beyond limited self for the sake of good, than that which empowers others with the desire and capacity to do good in the world. And this is where our exploration of the heroic phase of Torah really begins, at the gate of good, of Torah, right? Moral standards of good and bad, right and wrong, harm and heal, 
should guide our actions whether we're heroes or not. And trust me, up ahead on the 26 paths of heroism, we will find many tools to clarify the boundaries and to strengthen our actions. But we can't lose sight of the gate because our quest is for the essential goodness of creation. I say can't lose sight specifically because the practice that will set us out on our journey, that ultimately can make us good guys, heroes in our own life journey and in the world, that practice is called Hakarat Hatov, learning to see the good. You know, if I asked my Israeli children, what does Hakarat Hatov mean? They would tell me it means saying thank you, right? Acknowledgement. And simple acknowledgement might be called the basis of civilization. Thankful relationships. The fact that I can see the good that you have done for me. It's important. And by the way, it's its own form of Mesirut Nefesh, of going beyond my limited self. When I acknowledge something which is given to or done for me, what I'm really doing is acknowledging that there's a larger world out there, one that I actually might be dependent upon. So thank you for what you're doing. And acknowledgement is the first practice to which I would call you. I can promise you that everybody listening, watching right now, there is someone in your life who is doing you a good which is either unacknowledged or under-acknowledged. Take this as a practice, the same one your parents told you. Say thank you. But don't do it as a re reflex. Do it as a reflection of the fact that you see the good which is done for you. Now, beyond simple acknowledgement, Hakarat Hatov, this ability to recognize good, is what we might call an attitude of gratitude, right? It's a cultivation of a consciousness of all the good which is there in creation happening to me. And whether you see the source of that as the infinite God, nature, what have you, this is an important consciousness. It's also, by the way, a well-known practice. And that's the next exercise I would call you to. Keep a gratitude journal. You can make a daily list before you go to bed about everything you're grateful for, the fact that you have a roof over your head, food in your stomach, that your eyebrows keep the sweat out of your eyes and that you've got clothes on your back, right? Cultivate an attitude of gratitude and you will find that it is its own form of Monsieur Nefes, right? You're widening your horizon, expanding your consciousness of Tobes' presence in creation. Acknowledgement and an attitude of gratitude really are human requirements. I might even call them basic civilization, and the keystone of a healthy, honest consciousness. But the heroic stance on Hakarat Hatov is actually something more. I've heard it said in the name of uh, Maria Montessori that a person only sees that which they're ready to take responsibility for. Think about that. We only see that which we're ready to take responsibility for. I'm going to follow it with a question. Why is it that when people talk about doing good deeds, the quintessential good deed is helping an old lady across the street. Well, I can explain it with use of our creator's dynamic that we named before. There's an inner conception that we have when we see this old person. And that is that the weak and vulnerable should bring out the best in us. And then we have a medium. How we can act, that's the situation we encounter. This person needs my help. And then there's a method, which is my ability to make that good manifest in the world. My conception that the weak and vulnerable bring out the best in me there's demands action. I should feel responsibility to make what ought be what is. Now, it may be relatively simple to see the ought be good 
in the situation of this Safta, of this grandmother waiting to cross the street. But it gets quite a bit harder because life, of course, gets way more complex and painful. And that's why learning to see the good is actually the way in which we reach the gate of Tov, that gate that opens out on the 26 paths of heroism. The gate which will teach us how to be most serenathous, go beyond, grow beyond, for the sake of a good which is beyond simple acknowledgement or gratitude, right? We will learn to see the good which ought to be in every situation. And it begins with understanding what moves us, right? What really actually causes us to say, this ought to be otherwise. And what allows us to see the potential good, how it might be, and of course gives us the motivation to act to make it so. Now, what actually moves us to see good is a question of what we readied ourselves to see. And that's why there's one more facet of tov, of goodness, that we need to touch on before we head on through the gate and down these 26 There is a process that the Torah calls hataba, readying oneself for good. If you look in Exodus chapter 30, line 7, right, you'll see it says there, Hikter alav Aaron ketort sami, right? And Aaron burnt on the golden altar the spiced incense, baboker, baboker, every morning, when he readied the lamps, that's when he would burn it. Now, this is a crucial moment of abodah, of divine service, which is meant to happen every day in the tabernacle. Aaron's told to go in and ready the lamps of the candle arbor that burn before the Holy of Holies, even as he's also lighting the morning incense, right? This isn't just a matter of convenience. You happen to be there anyway, making Aaron the original multitasker. I mean, if you're there, you know, just do them both. That's not what's happening here because there's something essential which unites both the menorah, those lights that he's preparing, and the incense which he's burning. And what unites them lies in the term it used for Aaron's text, the hetivo et hanero. He gooded the lamps? No, hatava is a preparation of the lamps, making sure that the light that they'll give off is ready to shine at the touch of a flame. That's hatala. And by the way, the sage is also taught, right, right, when the grinders would prepare, grind the incense, right, Omer, hetev hadek, hadek hetev. They chanted, grind it good, good it ground. Make it ready to give off reach nihoach, sweet savor to the Lord, the very first spark. Because hatava, gooding, is actually a process of readying a lamp, incense, or a person to release the good within themselves and within every situation that they find. This is the path forward. This is the way we learn to see the good and get through the gate onto the 26 paths of Jewish heroism. Hatava, we ready ourselves to see the good in everything and to bring it into being. It's a process that really encompasses all the 26 paths because remember, Tov is both the gate and our destination. But don't worry, if this sounds like a tall order, I'm going to give you a quick word of guidance from the Ramban, Nachmanides, 13th century sage of Christian Spain, before we wrap it up. By the way, if you want more, you can take a peek at the supplementary materials on the website that go with this entire episode. For now, you should just know that in Devarim, in Deuteronomy, 8.16. The Torah says, You do that which is 
straight or right, and good in the eyes of God. Sounds good, but how on earth am I supposed to know what's good in the eyes of God? It suddenly becomes a tall order when you stop to think about it. Now, the Ramban gives a beautiful answer. And like I said, I encourage you to go listen and learn it in full. For now, just know, he points out that the Torah isn't an answer book that tells you what the good is in every possible situation. That's just not, that's not possible. It can't give you all the relationships with your neighbors and the business. It, it, no, it's not going to happen. It's not an answer book. It's a training manual. The Ramban says that if you follow the Hora'ah, the path of instruction, and you live a life guided by that instruction, then you will internalize the light that is shining through, that essential good, which is illuminating every step of that path in the world through which it trots. And then, says Ramban, you will become someone who sees the good which needs to be done, who knows what is right and good in the eyes of Lord, and therefore called to Mesirot Nefesh, to go beyond and grow beyond, to make that good. Okay, it's time to wrap things up and really to bring to a close our first step, the way through the gate on the paths of Jewish heroism. And I want to do it by returning to that simple story. Let Moshe Tuvia, the good, right? Let him come, born to be Moshe Nefesh, to go beyond his limited self for the sake of good. And he did. Through his commitment, he went beyond the boundaries and encountered the wholeness of creation, bringing it down as the good, a Torah which has a heroic face, 26 paths which will guide us all toward heroism in our own life journey and in the world. And where did Moshe's story end after he got that good from the good one and handed it off to the good guys? Well, I mean, considering the ongoing power of the Torah in the world, on one level, Moshe's story never ends. We're still telling it right now. But in a simple sense, it actually ends in the same place that all of our stories end, in the grave. But Moshe's final resting place was hidden from us. We do get a glimpse, however, of his last request. As the Torah says in Deuteronomy and Devarim, chapter 3, 25, he, Moshe says to God, Please, he says, let me go over and see this good land, which is on the other side of the Jordan, and the good mountain and the Levanori. He wants to taste the good of the land. Moshe is asking to see the good that he's brought down and given to the good people reached its fruition in the good land. But what does it mean that Israel is called the good land? Probably the best explanation I can offer actually comes from Archimedes of all places, right? Famously, he said, give me a lever and where to stand and I will move the world. Well, you need to know that for Knesset Israel, that sum total of the desire to express the essential good of creation, like Rav Cook taught us, for Knesset Israel, the Torah is the lever. That's the way we move. But the land is where we're meant to stand in order to make the world move. Moshe saw this, but only from a distance, right? By the way, there was a more modern visionary who saw it as well. You may know the quote from Herzl, right? Father of Zionism. He said, I once called Zionism an infinite ideal. And I truly believe that even after attaining the land of Israel, 
it will not cease to be an ideal. Because Zionism, said Herzl, entails not only the aspiration for that piece of land, but also the aspiration for moral and spiritual perfection. Right? Herzl also, just like Moshe, saw the good land, the place in which the good that Moshe had brought down from the capital G good one and given to the good people would actually come to its greatest fruition. So I repeat to you the aspiration of Herschel, of Moshe, of the Creator, right? There are limitless ways to go beyond, to grow beyond your limited self. And I'm going to offer to you 26 paths of heroism, which will help you become a hero, someone who knows how to do the good they encounter on their life journey. And all of them begin at the gate of good. Learning to see the good is the first step. And the next one, the coming path on our work, is to become the person who can make that good real in the world. And that's why the first path through the gate on these 26 paths of Jewish heroism will be Avodah, learning to do the work. I'll see you there. Hey, it's Rob Mike again. So that was episode one. I hope you liked it. You know, there's going to be plenty of other content. In fact, there's plenty of it out there already. Interviews, heroic thoughts, Inyana Dioma thoughts on what's happening in the world today. If you want to keep hearing these and other amazing stories about Jewish heroism, just search for the Jewish Heroism Project wherever you get your podcasts or go to jewishheroism.com. That's Jewish Heroism Project wherever you get your podcasts or jewishheroism.com. Hope to see you there.